this. One thing we hear a lot about is being present and a lot of encouragement to be present. And I want to explore a little bit more what this means. I mean, this is this is a theme, I think it's an ongoing theme that we continue to explore in our practice from the very, very beginning. And I know for myself that in the early days of my practice, I had some sense of what that meant. And I thought that I was present sometimes to a certain degree. And then over the years of practice, that whole concept of what it means to be present has just deepened and expanded to the point of that I'm not sure that I really understood very much at all when I first began. And I think this is really the wonderful thing about the practice that we're doing is that it really is an ever-expanding practice. But it seems that there's never really a point where we can actually feel like we got it or that we understand it. It just continually opens to more and more dimensions of our being and our existence. And so to explore what it means to be present is really a very important exploration for us because I think it in some way is in the heart of what we're really doing. Being present can sometimes be a somewhat, um, well, it can certainly seem like a good idea, you know, to be present. We like the idea. And when we are present, there's a sense that it feels good, it feels right. And when we're not present, and we can actually feel some periods of disconnection from ourselves and from our activities and our being, there can actually, we can feel a kind of a sense of loss or even some grief around that disconnection. There was someone speaking about that today. You know, just the sadness that wells up in that reflection of, of how the disconnection had been manifesting. And yet something within us knows that we want that sense of presence. We want that sense of connection. You know, even when we're, when we're not, when we feel that kind of, that, that loss or that absence, we can feel the, the connection with the absence. So there's something that knows, something that longs for that, something that wants that. Another way of saying it is that we want to be here. We want to be here, even though there's a part of us that may not want to be here. And when we talk about being here, that can mean many, many things, you know. But yet what I'm really referring to is really being here, here in this moment, right where we are, with the fullness, with the totality of our experience, just the way that it's arising, without the conflict that we often find ourselves in with what is. And this is really the human dilemma in a way, is that it's so difficult to 
really be satisfied with what is. The mind, our mind, all the conditions of our mind seem to want something else or think that something else is supposed to be happening other than what is happening. And we can easily get caught in these ideas and these beliefs and these assumptions about the way that our mind formulates these stories or these ideas that what's happening now isn't what's supposed to be happening, but something else is. I should be over there, or my experience should be like this. It shouldn't be like this. And you might have experienced that sometime today. The first day of a retreat is sometimes not the easiest of retreats. Some of you have been here for a few days. Some of you have been here for a few weeks or more already. So you might not be going through that particular phase of what others would be going through on the first day of a retreat. There can be a lot of sleepiness, for example, particularly if it's warm or hot. You know, it can just even really feed that sense of tiredness dullness, you know, not really being able to make the mind very sparky or very bright at all. And there can, you can feel some discouragement about that. You can feel frustration. You could feel impatience if you think that something else is supposed to be happening. I wonder if anybody here today had that thought, that something, <laughs> some other kind of experience would have been um, not even better, but a real belief that something else should have been happening and it should have been a different kind of a day. But yet, the conditions that come together on the first day of a retreat are often like this for people. You know, there's a big adjustment to make, there's a big change to make from some busyness, activity, uh, the responsibilities, the commitments, and then coming into a, a situation where you're moving quite slowly, there's not much happening, you're not talking to anybody, you don't have any of your usual distractions, you're left completely with yourself, really isn't much to do or place anywhere to go that, that except, you know, out into the garden or, you know, maybe for a walk in the hills or go to your room and take a nap or, you know, there's not a lot to distract yourself with, although we are usually fairly good at finding some, you know, so that we don't have to fully be with what we're experiencing. I mean, that's okay, and, and you know, it's, it's, it's natural that we do that. We all go through that. And yet it's very interesting to begin to explore what's actually going on that we may be in some conflict, we may be in some tension with our actual experience. And this is very much what we begin to explore. We continue to, we begin to explore, we continue to explore this tension or this conflict that arises within us where we're not able to just fully settle and allow and open to our experience just as it is. As we do that, if we do that, we begin to feel this sense of presence, this sense of being present or being in presence, which then takes on a form of a kind of living presence, 
Catherine's been using that word, this living presence, this living presence, which is actually not just an idea. It's not even just being mindful of what's happening. Even those words can be be somewhat superficial if we don't go deeper with it. Just to be mindful of what's happening is kind of to know what's happening. But we can go deeper into the experience itself where it actually becomes a full experience. It becomes a kind of dynamic experience where we really feel our body, for example. We really feel what's happening in the body at the feeling level, at the sensation level, at the emotional level. We have some awareness of what's happening in the thinking process. We're, we're able to have some sense of the, of the quality of the mind, the mood, if it's dull or if it's um, kind of irritated or if we're feeling um, kind of sad or disconnected or whatever it is. We have some, some quality of knowing that, but not just the knowing in a kind of an abstract way or a generalized way, but in a way that we really begin to feel in a much broader, more expansive way of what is actually occurring at the whole level of our being, which includes the mind, which includes the body, which includes the emotions which includes the whole sort of context of where we are and what we're going through. This presence becomes a, a full presence, a sort of a three-dimensional presence, where we really have an experience that we are here. I am here. I am existing here. I am existing. That more, it's a full, whole quality of our being. We often get the sense that to be in this kind of experience, that it may feel good. You know, we say, well, when we're really present, you know, or we're really in this deep connection and wholeness with ourselves, that it's, it's, it's kind of what we yearn for because we think that it's going to you know, be a good feeling. It's going to be the, you know, kind of blissful or joyful or you know, in some way we'll feel happy. And I think this idea is really one of the ideas that becomes somewhat of an obstacle for us to deepen into our experience because when it's not that way, then we think that we're not on track. But in truth, that sometimes when we're fully with our experience, it can really feel awful. You know, it's like really unpleasant and even sometimes kind of painful. And we don't like it at all. We don't want to be there at all. And we feel this kind of sense of, I don't, I don't like this, I don't want to be here. But yet there's the, again, there's sort of the immersion in it that we know it. And in a way, I think what happens is we're, we're kind of not afraid of it. I think that's one of the things that begins to happen as we can meet our experience more fully, is that element of being afraid of our experience starts to dissolve a bit more. Where we can actually say, okay, I can be with this whether I like it or whether I don't like it. And in a way, what happens then is that sense of myself, 
how I think of myself and how I know myself and the self that has all of its preferences and uh, its ideas and its beliefs and its wants and its, and its likes and its dislikes, that, that self, which is what we usually I call self in the Buddhist language of self, it's that self that starts to become a bit more quiet. It starts to soften, so it's not imposing itself so much on top of experience. It's not that self is not so much in conflict with what's happening, even though we may still have an experience that doesn't feel so great, and we might feel like we're quite identified with our experience. There's still something that shifts because that that we're not. As in as much conflict, we're not as in much tension, we're not as fearful of our experience, which means already there's a layer of that identification that is dropping away. So as that sense of ourself becomes more allowing, more trusting, more embracing, we can be more fully here we can be more present with what is. This tangible presence, not an idea, not even, just not even a, a kind of a, a mindful knowing, but something very tangible, something very real, something very authentic for us. It feels very immediate, very contactful, with what is. So being here, being present, really means that we are facing reality. We're facing reality. In a way, I always think of that when I talk, when I think about and reflect on facing reality, it always seems to me like a kind of growing up. You know, it's like, okay, it's time to face reality, you know. It's like we, we become more mature in our life and we can take that step and kind of face things the way they are. And, and I think even in that respect it is, is what partly makes it feel good to face reality because we feel we're bringing more of ourselves to the experience. We're, we're really bringing um, kind of a, a, our wisdom to the experience, more of ourselves. It's kind of that, that that's, I think that's why we have that sense of growing up because we, we feel more of who we are in more of a, of, of a full way, in a total way, as we begin to face reality. And reality isn't always very pleasant. And as you know, you know, it's one of three experiences really. All experience has three qualities to it. It's either pleasant, it is unpleasant, or it's somewhere in between, which is called neutral. And experience moves between those that continuum of pleasant, neutral, unpleasant, neutral, pleasant, back. It just moves along that continuum. And it can move very quickly. It can change very quickly. And so our practice is to see if we can stay with the changing experience no matter what's happening, no matter how it feels, whether it's pleasant, whether it's unpleasant, whether it's kind of neutral, kind of boring, you know, not much is happening at all. Can we stay there? Can we be here 
for our experience no matter what. This is the facing reality, facing life as it is, as it unfolds. And then we begin to come into contact with what is real, what is true. When we come into contact with direct experience, that experience has a reality to it. We call it reality, facing reality. It is what is real. My feelings, my thoughts, my um, pain, my memories, my habits, my addictions, my mind states, my likes, my dislikes. That's what's real. That's what's real in the moment. It may change and become something else and not have that same reality anymore, but in the moment it has that reality. And when we come into experience, when we begin to meet experience in its reality, it takes on a whole different quality. It has an aliveness. It has an immediacy. It has a, a dynamism to it. It has a, um, a, a, a brightness, kind of a, a, a luminosity to it, no matter what it is. If we pay attention, if we can bring attention to it, even boredom. Sometimes we think boredom means that we need to find something else to do or something more interesting or more exciting, but to really actually look at boredom itself can actually be quite interesting. What's boredom? What brings about that state? And as we bring the light of our awareness on it, perhaps something really will become illuminated. We will begin to understand something about ourselves and about our experience that we didn't know before because we have that interest, because we have that willingness to be with what is arising in the present moment. So we use the tool, we use this tool of mindfulness as our practice. This mindfulness in the Pali, the word is sati, sati, which is also, as we translate it as mindfulness, but it also means a recollection. I like the word recollection because it means that we are recollecting our mind. It's like we're bringing our attention back together from the scattered, dispersed way that the mind can move in all different kinds of directions to all different kinds of objects, as we come into mindfulness, the mind becomes full of the present moment. It is recollected, recollected into a oneness or a wholeness, a unified presence, rather than this kind of scattered, dispersed, kind of lost, uh, unfocused, kind of way that the mind can move so easily if it's untrained, if we're not really drawing on this quality of our mind, mindfulness. And it's this mindfulness that brings us back, it recollects, it brings us back from the dispersion to here, to being here. So we we draw on this mindfulness to bring us back. And we, we use the breath as, our, as the way we begin, our primary contact, as something that 
is always available as a way to return back here through the breath. We can also use the body. We've been talking about the body. Something to come in contact with what's here and now. Breath, body, experience. Just as, not that it's any, there's anything kind of sacred in itself to come back to the breath or back to the body, but because it helps us drop back into present reality. And from there we can open. From there we can expand in our connection, in our understanding. Mindfulness also connects us with that aspect of our mind that is awake, that is already awake, the awake consciousness that is always there, but we lose touch with it, we lose connection with it because of the conditions of our mind that can kind of create almost a veil over our consciousness. When we get lost in our memories of the past and we fantasize about things of the future and we, we it can, it's almost as if we, we, we just leave, <laughs> we, we just disappear into the past and into the future and we really aren't here anymore. The, pa- the thoughts of our past and the thoughts of our future become so real. They, 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 they take on a reality of their own, just as when we're going to a movie in theater and we're sitting and watching a movie and we get totally engrossed in the movie and we don't re- realize that we're sitting in a movie theater, we don't realize we're sitting in a chair and that, that's not really happening to us. But the same thing happens. It's, it's, it's the same phenomenon, really, when we're sitting in meditation and the mind just just goes off into these other realms, these other worlds, and they become so real for us. And so in a way we lose connection with that awake consciousness. We lose connection with mindfulness at those times. The, The mindfulness that is bright, that is alive, that is energized, that is here, we lose it. And then we live in the imaginary reality, not in the true reality, not in the reality that is here and now. And so spiritual practice is what really allows us to return back. All spiritual traditions, all all the, the, the practices from the East, they are practices which help us return back to here. Come back here. And we might wonder, what's so special about being here? You know, I mean, certainly when we're on the first day of a retreat, you know, it doesn't seem like being here is really the greatest thing at all. And that's the very, that's kind of the the koan for us. Koan is a spiritual question. Really, that's kind of the the interesting piece for us. It's all of the practices and the teachings are pointing us back here and what's so great about being here? Because the mind doesn't want to be here. And so that's in a way we continue to explore that. I, that's so beautiful about the 
um, about the teachings is that they, they're, they're asking us to explore this. Come back here, not to some kind of a special, particular, exotic experience, but to come back here right now in the most simple and ordinary way, just with a step of your foot on the grass, just the sound of the birds and the trees, just a breath that's moving through your body, or the rustle of a, of a cloth on your skin, or the heat of the temperature. I mean, just that, nothing particular. And yet the mind, our minds do build up these ideas and these stories about something that, about meditation and spirituality that has to be so exotic, or enlightenment, or, you know, realization that somehow it's so exotic. And, and I think, of course, that's why we miss it. Because what we're really being asked to do is to come back to something so simple and so ordinary. And so the walking meditation and the sitting meditation is, is asking you to come back to that simple, ordinary reality. Whether it's even dull mind or sleepy mind or pain in the body or restlessness or agitation or wanting to be somewhere else or being hungry or being hot or being calm or tranquil or concentrated or happy or excited, whatever it is just coming back to whatever is. We start with the mindfulness of body. It's so important that it's the first foundation of mindfulness that the Buddha laid out, the four foundations. The first foundation of mindfulness, mindfulness of the body, because we need to be in the body in order to be here. The mind and the body need to be in the same place, which is a rare experience. <laughs> Isn't it, it's so interesting when you really reflect on how often the mind and the body are not in the same place. <laughs> and then when they actually come into alignment, there's a whole different thing that happens. There's just a sense of something. It's almost like so, sometimes I feel a quality of, of, of a, something just opening, like an experience just expanding or broadening, opening out, and then sort of a, a quality of some kind of illumination or light because there's such a quality of wholeness when, the, when that mind and body come together. So we start with mindfulness of body. So all the practices in the first few days, are, you know, the walking and being really connected to the feet and to the legs, to the body, sitting, being connected to the breath, really knowing the breath, where the breath is, feeling what's happening in the body. We start there as a way to begin this connection with present moment. Not, it's only the first foundation. You know, the second foundation is the foundation of being mindful of feeling. Feeling. Generally, what the Buddha meant was feeling pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. 
being aware of that movement of experience and then noticing our relationship to that movement of experience. That's the second foundation, so that we can really get to know how we get caught up in reacting to pleasant and unpleasant experience, which we'll talk a lot more about. And then the third foundation being the the foundation of mind and emotions. So bringing mindfulness to the whole aspect of how the mind manifests in mind states and thought, moods, and our emotional life that arises in conjunction with mind and mind states. And then the fourth foundation being the mindfulness of the Dharma itself and the way that the Dharma actually unfolds and our understanding, the deep, wise understanding of the Dharma and the way that that affects us in our life and and our understanding of existence. The quality, the qualities that arise when we deeply come into contact with the Dharma. The Dharma being the the law or the the way of things, the nature of things. And so we continue to expand out with our mindfulness. We don't end with mindfulness of the body, but we begin to integrate all different aspects, mind, body, feelings, emotions, and and then the whole understanding of, of existence itself. A Japanese Zen master, Dogen, from the 13th century said, to study the Buddha way is to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self. To forget the self is to be awakened with all things. So to study the Buddha way is to study the self. Sometimes we think we have to go right into understanding not-self, you know, and to, to kind of forget the self before we study the self or understand the self. But we start with all aspects of how we know ourselves to be. We study the self, and to study the self is then to forget the self, because we see who we are in its true reality, which is not the way we thought. We're not who we think we are. We are something much more vast, something much more deep and profound. And so we forget the self in the way that we understood ourself to be in a small and limited way, in an isolated kind of fixed way. We expand out that understanding. And then to forget the self is to be awakened with all things because we come into connection with all things and everything becomes our teacher. Everything becomes something that informs us so we can go deeper and deeper into our understanding of things. And so we practice, we practice with everything that's occurring, everything that's happening through our day, with all of our activities, with all of our experiences, with everything that we do through the day. I want to read you a um, short story from Ajahn Sumedho, 
um, whom probably most of you know or are aware of as the uh, abbot of Amavati Monastery here in England. And um, Ajahn Sumedho tells wonderful stories about himself and his, on his path and on his journey. And he's so um, humble, really. He, just, he really just tells it like it is and, and the things that he had to go through. And I want to read this one piece about when he was uh, an, a, a younger monk in Thailand and some of the things that he went through there. He's been a monk for about 30, 35 years. He's a, a Canadian, actually, and um, such a wonderful teacher for, for many of us. So he says, Sometimes insight arises at the most unexpected times. This happened to me while living at Wat Pa Pung. The northeastern part of Thailand is not the most beautiful or desirable place in the world with its scrubby forest and flat plain. It also gets extremely hot during the hot season. We'd have to go out in the heat of the mid-afternoon before each of the observance days and sweep the leaves off the paths. There were vast areas to sweep. We would spend the whole afternoon in the hot sun, sweating and sweeping the leaves into piles with crude brooms. This was one of our duties. I didn't like doing this. I think, I don't want to do this. I didn't come here to sweep the leaves off the ground. I came here to get enlightened, and instead they have me sweeping leaves off the ground. Besides, it's hot, and I have fair skin. I might get skin cancer from being out here in the hot climate. I was standing out there one afternoon feeling really miserable, thinking, what am I doing here? What did I co- why did I come here? Why am I staying here? Then I stood with my long, crude broom and absolutely no energy, feeling sorry for myself and hating everything. Then Ajahn Chah, you know, the teacher, the great master, Ajahn Chah came up, smiled at me and said, Wat Papong is a lot of suffering, isn't it? And walked away. So I thought, why did he say that? And actually, you know, it's not all that bad. <laughs> he got me to contemplate. Is sweeping the leaves really that unpleasant? No, it's not. It's kind of a neutral thing. You sweep the leaves and it's neither here nor there. Is sweating all that terrible? Is it really a miserable, humiliating experience? Is it really as bad as I'm pretending it is? No, sweating is all right. It's a perfectly natural thing to be doing, and I don't have skin cancer, and the people at Wat Papong are very nice. The teacher is a very kind, wise man. The monks have treated me well. The lay people come and give me food to eat. And what am I complaining about? Reflecting upon the actual experience of being here, I thought, I'm all right. People respect me. I'm treated well. I'm being taught by pleasant people in a very pleasant country. There's really nothing wrong with anything except me. I'm making a problem out of it because I don't want to sweat, and I don't want to sweep the leaves. Then I had a very clear insight. 
I suddenly perceived something in me which was always complaining and criticizing and which was preventing me from ever giving myself to anything or offering myself to anything. He really got it in that moment that it had nothing to do with his experience but the way his mind was creating these very difficult ideas and problems out of what was going on. And then in the um, end of, an, of the, the no, another story that he tells, he says, um, um, there was no problem after that. It felt really good. That nasty thing in me had stopped. That nasty thing in me had stopped. And in a way, that's really what we're exploring. It's like, what is that? What is that that keeps us from settling, from just settling, is the experience that's occurring so bad. And I think that it's really a worthwhile question. I remember times when I was sitting on my cushion, I would just sometimes feel, you know, these really kind of ornery and irritated mind states, and I didn't know why I felt that way. And in the past, I would have just kind of identified it with it and then just said, okay, this is just the way I am and there's not much I can do with it and I'm just irritated and grumpy. But because of the encouragement for the inquiry and the investigation into what's actually keeping us from settling, sometimes I would just ask, what's going on? What's actually going on that I'm feeling this way right now? And I remember uh, more than once when I would really just kind of drop my attention right into my body, into the fullness of my experience, I would just feel kind of a, kind of an, a little ache in my side that was really unpleasant, that I really didn't want to feel, just some aspect, just a little pain or something that I had, I had blocked out of my experience because it was just too unpleasant to sit with. And so by blocking it out of my experience, I would just go into kind of this mind state of irritability and not liking and not wanting to be here and trying, you know, and then finding something else that was wrong. You know, well, I don't, didn't like the way that person looked when they walked by or something, or I don't like the way they're dressed that day or, you know, but rather than just, what's going on? What's actually happening? And those times that I, that I did find the the pain in my body and then would just feel it just let myself feel that experience it was like the whole my whole mind changed it was like ah oh, that's what's going on oh that's not so bad you know and then just feeling that noticing what's happening and notice how it's changing and and then it would just kind of dissipate sometimes or not, but at least I had a sense of what it was. So I wasn't in that, that tension, in that conflict. And I think that's what we don't really realize very often, is the way that that conflict with experience is actually arising. There's, a, there's an inner tension which often gives rise to the, the unpleasant mind state that we experience, the kind of the grumbling or the, the agitation or the, the um, dislike of our experience and then projecting that out in some way.
So such a useful exploration, just to say, what is, what is going on? Is it really that bad? I mean, as you sit here now, you might want to reflect on your day and just kind of think back for a minute. How was your day today? What was happening today? When you really kind of go right to the direct experience itself, the bare experience itself, was it, was it really so bad? And if it was, what aspect of it was really difficult? You might want to ask yourself, was it the experience that you were having, the bare experience, or was it your mind? Was it the way that you were actually relating to your experience? In some way that you might not have liked your experience, the experience that you were having, you wanted it to be a different experience or you thought that you should be having a different experience. How was it today? we practice. We want to see if we can disengage from the mind, from our mind, and from the way that our mind gets so caught up in our experience. We initially direct the practice so that we come down into the body, into the breath, so we can begin to disengage from our mind. Because otherwise, our experience is an experience that is actually going through the mind. And what I mean by that is that if we have some kind of idea about how our day should be, or how our experience should be, or what should be happening at any time, then the experience is going through the mind. And we're missing what's actually occurring now. And I think that a lot of times we live a lot of our day that way where experience is going kind of that way rather than that way. And so we, we keep practicing this kind of grounding down through the body. Let go, or the, the instructions to let go of what the mind is saying and then just feel into the experience more directly. Feel into the body into the emotions, into the the sadness or the grief or the agitation or the happiness or the contentment, the response that's occurring, rather than our beliefs and our ideas and our assumptions about what we think is supposed to be happening or where we're supposed to be going, the ideals and the expectations that we have for ourselves in our practice. 
We keep pointing to that, like, let go, let go, let go. Disengage from that, come back down into the simplicity of just this moment, however it is, and any manifestation that it is. This is really where we begin to see what can open in our experience from there that is not our mind dictating how experience should be, but something that is much more immediate. In a way, it's something that is actually not very familiar, not very known to us, something that is very fresh, something that is very new in that respect because we haven't even thought of it. We haven't even yet formulated an idea of our experience. We come at life in a very different way, in a very different direction that way. Ajahn Chah says, when asked what greatest hindrance his students have, he said, opinions, views, and ideas about things. Their minds are filled with opinions about things. They are too clever to listen to others. It is like water in a cup. If the cup is filled with dirty, stale water, it is useless. Only after the old water is thrown out can the cup become useful. You must empty your minds of opinions, then you will see. Only after the old water is thrown out can the cup become useful, can the vessel become useful. So we are emptying the old, stale water. <laughs> Let it flow out so that something fresh can come in. Something utterly surprising can come in. One Roshi said that those who are awake live in a state of constant amazement. Those who are awake live in a state of constant amazement because you never know what's going to happen. If you're not living from your idea about what you think should happen or what you want to have happen, then what does happen is going to be pretty surprising. And every moment can be quite a surprise when we let go, keep letting go and opening, returning back to this present reality, to here, to see what actually will manifest now out of this mystery, this mysterious can't even find a word for it, this that we live in, when we completely let go of our ideas, of our opinions, of our views. So in that way we might say that we're really not going anywhere, because even going somewhere can be, would be another idea. We're not really going anywhere. We're just here. 
We might not even say that we're going here or there or here. We're, we're just here. When we really let go, we really empty our minds in that way. All there is is here. There's nowhere to go. There's nothing that we even have to do from that point of view. It's all happening by itself. It's all happening spontaneously. It's a spontaneous arising, happening even without us. Just happening. It's from a Tibetan Rinpoche. He said, there is nothing that has to be done about whatever is happening and there is nothing that has to be undone. Just here, being here. So our practice is very much about examining what that would mean for us. What would it mean to be here. And perhaps another fundamental question to bring into that is, do you want to be here? That might be a good question to reflect on tonight. Since most of or all of what we're doing is about being here, do you want to be? Maybe that would be a useful inquiry for us at some point. I'll just end with one more little story that um, I was in New Zealand teaching this few months ago. And I teach at this place called Temawata in the north of the North Island and the Coromandel. And it's really a very, very beautiful retreat center in a sort of semi-tropical rainforest, very small, but intentionally built for Vipassana retreat. It holds about 30 people. And it's in a kind of a jungle-like place. It's just very, very beautiful. And the, the, the place itself is very homey. It's all wood and it's, and it's very cozy and homey. And one of the yogis there was doing walking meditation outside of the kitchen. And the, one of the guardians of the retreat center had a beautiful little dog, a little terrier, a white terrier. They were just outside of the kitchen on its little chain. And the yogis were around. And this one yogi was doing her walking meditation uh, by the kitchen and by this little dog. And she told me this story of what happened, and she was, it was really um, insightful for her. And she was doing her walking meditation so that when she walked, she was walking towards the dog and then away from the dog. So the dog was on the porch, and then she was like walking, you know, very, like vertically towards the dog and away from the dog. And she said that each time she walked towards the dog and got close to the dog, the little dog's tail would start wagging. She'd be very excited, like, oh, she's coming, you know. And then she would start to turn away, and then the dog's tail would stop. And then she'd start walking back, 
and then she'd turn and start walking towards the dog, and then his little tail would start wagging again. He gets very excited about the, making the contact, and then she'd just turn and walk away. Well, she had very mixed feelings about this. And she thought, well, you know, this wasn't very pleasant for her to see this dog get all excited and then she would turn away from it. But what she realized as she did that, she did her walking meditation for some time there, and what the insight that she had was she said, you know, what I realized is that that was just like what happens when I get close to my true nature. When I get close to who I really am, she said, as I get close, it's like true nature gets all excited and the, do- the tail starts wagging and it gets all happy and glad and then I turn away and it just kind of slumps back down. Oh well, not this time. <laughs> and then turning back and get closer to true nature and then all the gladness and the happiness and the light and the bliss all, and then <laughs> turn away. She said, it's just like that. And she just felt so kind of um, interested in, in having that sense that when she actually starts to touch something that is true, something that is real in herself, something that is essential in herself, that something in her just wakes up in all that happiness and that gladness. And it made her feel very, very happy although she was sad for the dog. (laughs) So let's sit for a couple minutes together.